2: Cities across the country are dotted with vacant lots, often overgrown with weeds, full of trash or surrounded by dilapidated buildings. The unused spaces are at best an eyesore, but some community groups see these empty spaces as an opportunity for food forests, vibrant public spaces that can also feed their community. Boston has 10 food forests, offering fig trees to mushroom logs and shaded park benches. And one coalition is aiming to develop a total of 30 by the end of the decade. Later in the show, this week, the highly anticipated new live-action Barbie movie finally comes to movie theaters, arriving just as the Barbie fan frenzy hits a fever pitch
1: people love this doll or people hate this doll, but ultimately the doll is made by and it's a reflection of society.
2: What does this growing adult fascination about Barbie say about American culture? But first, joining me remotely, Orion Kriegman, founding executive director of the Boston Food Force Coalition. Hi, Orion.
1: Hi, Callie. Wonderful to be here.
2: I'm glad to have you. Also with me, Vivian Morris, chair of the Edgewater Neighborhood Association. Hi, Vivian. Hi, Callie. So happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have both of you because I will confess right at the beginning, um, it wasn't until recently I even heard the expression food forest. I'm like, what? What are people talking? I had never heard of it before. And now that I've, in preparation for this conversation, delved into it, it's pretty fascinating. I wonder, Orion, if you have some sense of the history of the food forest movement in general.
1: Yeah, food forests, as I learned about them, really emerged from permaculture, which is... Uh... A term that was coined in the 70s before people even had phrases like sustainability or ecological agriculture or urban agroforestry. These are more recent uh, words that people are using to point in the same direction. But really the roots of of food forests go all the way back in time um, to, to Native Americans and how they used to garden the edge of the forest and select certain trees that were beneficial and useful and plant them intentionally. And I think it's mm. also something that we've seen other cultures around the world have different practices. And so what it's really been a lo- uh, is harmonizing and learning from other cultures with integrating modern science.
2: So uh, when did you learn about food forests? I mean, now you know about the history of it and you're very much involved. But, but when did you learn?
1: I think food forests first appeared on my radar when... It it was in the news that Seattle was building a food forest, uh, the Beacon Food Forest in Seattle, um, which was probably early, like, 2010, sometime around then. Um, And and we started doing a project in my neighborhood in Eggleston Square, and my neighbors had background and training in permaculture, and that was my introduction to all of this.
2: Okay. Now, uh, one other question that I want to get clear before I... uh go over to talk to Vivian is that food forests are different from gardens or community gardens. Uh, It's a communal experience, as we'll continue to learn, but it's not the same thing. And why don't you make that clear?
1: Yeah, a community garden tends to be a space with traditional plots. So every family or individual has their own own plot. and, And then, you know, resources are shared in that context. But there's often a gate and a waiting list, and you're not really invited to be in the garden unless you are officially a member of the garden. Whereas a food forest park, as we've been developing them in Boston, are open community parks. They're open to all visitors. A human and non-humans alike are welcome to the produce. <laughs> so if you see an apple growing in a food forest, you're welcome to pick it and eat it, unlike in a community garden where that might create some tension. And the gardening really happens collectively. It's, it's something that happens through community work days, through volunteer time and people really have to plan that and ultimately it's it's a it's something that we own together which is a little bit of a a stretch in our culture to think of ownership as something we can do collectively.
2: Orion Kriegman is the founding executive director of the Boston Food Forest Coalition and now Vivian Morris I'd like you to weigh in you're the chair of the Edgewater Neighborhood Association. Um your food forest opened officially in May but Um, You had a semi opening a year ago.
0: Yes, Um, I would say as a neighborhood association, uh, we were approached by the city of Boston several years ago and asked, would we be interested in having a green space an additional green space in our community? Um, And there was a nice plot of land in the community and the city was saying, did we wanna create a park there? We want to create another community garden. And in our neighborhood, we have a community garden, the Kennedy Community Garden. Um, and as you were just saying, you know, all of the plots are taken, but it's all individualized families or individuals. And we said that we would love to turn that plot of land that the city was offering into a food forest so that everyone in our community would have access to the food that's grown through trees and shrubs and other things.
2: So describe uh, the area that you're in that your neighborhood uh, association covers.
0: So we're called the Edgewater Neighborhood Association uh, because we are along the Neponset River. And our community association goes from the edge of Hyde Park on the west side
2: down to Mattapan Square on the east side. What I really love about this is the communalness of it with everybody gathering and the fact that you can decide together to create this beautiful new space, um, perhaps in an area that wasn't so beautiful to look at before and that everybody can partake of it just as you will. Um, But one of the things that interests me is that you have to be very thoughtful about what you put in the food forest because you want it. To be plentiful, and you want to make sure that it's good for your particular area. Vivian, how did you all go about deciding initially what you wanted to put in your food forest?
0: Well, it it was um, in some ways a situation of learning as we went along, as well as hearing the voices of community members. Uh, our neighborhood is largely um, Afro. Um, Latino, uh, Black, um, Afro-Caribbean, people from southern roots. Um, that makes up the, the large majority of our neighborhood. Uh, and yet we are in New England, right? So we had to select plants that will grow well here, as well as hoping to grow plants that people would want to see. hmm And we learned things um, because already on the plot of land that we selected, there were already multiple, very large black walnut trees. And as a person who grew up in the South and grew up eating black walnuts, that was great. (laughs) On the other hand, what we found is that many of us had thought, oh, let's plant some apple trees. And it turns out that apple trees can't grow near black walnut trees. Mm. So we learned a lot during that process. Um, We did plant cherry trees, pear trees, uh, grapevines, raspberries, other things like that. Uh, But we listened to what people wanted to see grown as well as what was possible to be grown.
2: Well, here's a part of an instructional video from the Boston Food Forest Coalition on pruning fruit trees, which is part of the whole Uh, process of keeping up your food forest that you've got to prune and be very particular about how you keep it up.
1: So pruning is a practice of training a tree into a form that is both healthy for the tree, useful for um, the person who wants to pick, harvest, and and tend it. And it's also a way of uh, guiding a tree into a future form.
2: I love that. Orion, what's in your food for us. you. I mean, there's 10 that you've helped to bring together, but in your initial one, what was in it?
1: In the one that we created in Egelson Square, which was, not, you know, about a 4,000 square foot vacant lot. So it was not a very large space. Uh, we started with uh, no budget and neighbors brought plants from their own yards. So one neighbor had a current uh, bush or two that we planted. Another neighbor had been working in a nursery and there were some mislabeled heirloom apple trees that they couldn't sell. So we planted three apple trees. Uh, Other neighbors went and bought blueberry bushes and we put those in. So it was really uh, a stone soup sort of effort. And it really came about uh, with less of a design and more of a passion and a collaborative spirit as people kept finding things and figuring out where they fit. It was almost like assembling a puzzle.
2: I was really touched by the story that, uh, you told uh, my producer about the tragedy that happened in the neighborhood and how those blueberry bushes you just mentioned came into play. Uh, tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So that first year where we were cleaning up the Eggleston community orchard, uh, you know, and it was a trash lot. It was covered in tires and TV sets and there was nip bottles and hypodermic needles. Um, it was uh a process of just going through and seeing what was already in the land what, what had been there and we were able to uncover um, a memorial that had been there for a young man who had been killed maybe a decade earlier and there had been like a candlelight vigil on the land and so we were out there planting uh new flowers that had been donated and beautifying the space when another murder took place uh this was in 2010 in in the fall around in october close to halloween and um it was it was a moment where we came out to continue as volunteers the effort we were doing in that vacant lot and this this young man's friends and family were holding a candlelight vigil um cuz the murder had just happened and w- my instinct had been to say let let people do their separate things they're suffering they're mourning we're here to clean but The other volunteers had a different instinct and they said, let's bring them soup, let's bring them water, let's honor the fact that someone has passed, let's invite them into the space and plant a blueberry bush and share some words of remembrance, let's hang a banner on the chain link fence and write rest in peace and invite folks to come by and and share memories. And in that way, I learned a very valuable lesson and I think neighbors watching from their windows learned a very valuable lesson about coming together in a time of tragedy and... This space that we were creating became a real testament of peace in the neighborhood. And people who lived through that still think of that and remember that.
2: As a matter of fact, uh, the whole gathering together part of it is so important. Uh, Let's listen to a handful of Boston Food Forest stewards talk about the benefits of their new spaces and the gathering part of it. This is gonna be a place for us to gather, a place for us to heal. It's a real treasure in the neighborhood the neighborhood.
1: I have absolutely gotten to know some of my neighbors that I wouldn't have gotten to know before. And
2: I've been around here for 30 years and I didn't know all my neighbors.
1: It's given us a chance to unite. It's a, a, a really good place to learn and connect with other people, learn about them, learn about plants. It's also a place to enjoy delicious food. This was just a vacant lot before. It was transformed into this really spectacular garden. And who knows what will happen as we go along.
2: So that's just fabulous. I should say, uh, Vivian, the other advantage of a food forest uh, that I've seen uh, noted in many, many uh, stories about them is that it offers shade. And so often in some of the communities where food forests are um, located, are planted, grown, um, and the neighbors come together to make it happen, that shade is very valuable It's you may be in a neighborhood where it's just so much reflective concrete and you know it's that hot sun beating down but you have this shaded space a quiet space um, is really important.
0: That's absolutely true and having that shade uh, and these beautiful trees and plants to look at to enjoy um, we have seating that's outdoor seating within the food forest so that you can sit and relax. Uh, We even put up uh, a little table so that you could play checkers or chess uh, in that shaded spot. So we are very much into trying to create more green spaces in our community and engage community residents to enjoy them. uh, to help with their health and their well-being. It's a wonderful place to relax.
2: Now, Orion, there are 10 food forests in Boston now. um, Your coalition would like to see 30. Uh, Vivian's group, the um, Edgewater Neighborhood Association, was invited in um, to think about making use of the space that they had. Um, Are there struggles around uh, placing these food forests in other locations?
1: Yeah, I, not so much struggles around placing them. There's more people coming to us, and that's the way it's always been, that there's a lot of inreach. at neighborhood or groups and different organizations, whether it's schools or libraries or even mosques and churches have approached us to say, can you help us dream of, envision, design a food forest? And in the early years, we didn't have a staff. It was all volunteers. It was very grassroots. It was other neighbors coming together to make this possible. Um, and it's taken eight years to build out an organization with, with a staff team where we're able to start to say yes to all the inReach coming our way. We're in- and the city is supportive? The city of Boston has been supportive. And I think that's a powerful story for, some, for Boston to be proud of, which is that this grassroots energy bubbling up has been met with top-down support almost from the very beginning. Um, there's been a, a few hiccups along the way. But, like, basically the land is sold at a nominal value of $100. Uh, oftentimes there's some initial funding that can come along with that 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 you know helps the momentum continue as we raise the rest of the resources to finish the project. So in that sense Boston has been an amazing partner and Chief Sheila Dillon at the Mayor's Office of Housing has been just outstandingly supportive of helping us think not just about how do we build these food forests but how do we build the land trust underneath them that will ensure their sustainability and care and maintenance over the long term.
2: Mm. And Vivian, uh, we all know we're in a time of high inflation, food inflation specifically. Uh, This seems to have happened in your neighborhood at just the right time. Has it had an impact um, and putting a dent in some of that food inflation? Are you too, too young for that?
0: We're looking forward to that. Um, some of the plants that were recently planted over the last year or two haven't yet reached that point where they're producing the large amount of uh, fruits that we're looking for, but there's some things that are already there, uh, and we want to encourage more people to come and utilize those. So whether it's the the black walnuts or the blueberries, uh, those things are there, and we're looking forward to Everybody just feeling free to walk in at any time. Uh, our gates are open from 8 a.m. until sundown, 365 days a year. So anyone coming in and they sing, see something that's ripe, we encourage them to take it and enjoy.
2: Now, again, your your uh, food forest is pretty young still. Will you have different plants um, seasonally? Well,
0: most of the things that we've planted, uh, are things that you know are ready from the the summer to the fall. Mm. Uh, that's that's largely what we have in the food forest.
2: I would like to know um, personally. You know, after you after it got up and running, um, what was your personal excitement about it? If there was personal excitement about just walking in there and saying, "Wow, we did this and it's in our neighborhood and look how great it is." Well. It's a
0: wonderful place for the community. Uh, we made some modifications in the food forest space. We worked with another group called Rebuild Together Boston. And we said we wanted to have a space within the food forest where we could have outdoor yoga classes or whether we where we could have movie nights and even training on things related to environmental issues. Hmm. And we built a space there. Um, And so those things are just starting to happen as well. So it is an amazing and beautiful space, uh, both naturally beautiful, but also beautiful as a place for the gathering of neighbors.
2: So it's almost like an outside community center and, um, you know, food market. (laughs) You have a combination there going on in your space. Um, Orion, are there uh, other differences in the 10 food forests that you have seen overseen?
1: Yeah, every food forest is its own story and every neighborhood has its own leadership. And I think the important thing in designing is that you design towards the goals that people really hold. So every food forest looks different. It's not a cookie cutter. Every space is a park. Every space has cultural elements. there's pathways that are handicap accessible, there's benches, there's often gazebos or platforms for workshops or outdoor movie nights or barbecues. Um, there's been some that have tended more towards annual vegetable growing, because that's what the neighbors are, were really excited about. And so we've built raised beds and we've um, figured out how to get a city water hookup, which can be very expensive. Um, Others that have been completely rain fed spaces and where the neighbors were prioritizing the food for wildlife, like the Savin Hill Wildlife Garden is a food forest, but that where the neighbors said they mostly want the birds and the pollinators to be fed from that food forest. Hmm. So it really varies depending on the spirit of the neighborhood and what their intentions are for the space. And I think that's important. I think that uh, one of the core principles in doing this work is you observe what resources are present and you work with that. So when there's black walnuts at the Edgewater food forest, it's it's lovely to incorporate that into the design and it creates both limitations and opportunities.
2: If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Orion Kriegman, executive director of the Boston Food Forest Coalition, and Vivian Morris, chair of the Edgewater Neighborhood Association. We're talking about food forests. Now, um, it would seem to me, I mean, what's the downside of this? There are, there's no downside. Uh, so why not have, I know you're pushing to have 30 by the end of the decade, but it seems like every neighborhood could benefit from this.
1: Well, that's a wonderful thought. I think the the core issue for us is that every food forest is led by local folks who genuinely want to do the work of gardening and stewarding it and the stewardship is volunteer. Just like when you do your own gardening in a community garden, you're volunteering your time and your energy. In a community garden, it's a little bit more straightforward. You're getting back the tomatoes that you planted. In a food forest, you do get the fruits of your labor, but you do share it in a new way. And people have to be ready for that adventure. And it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, Sometimes it's a bit of a discovery. Sometimes we're meeting neighbors we've, we've lived next to for 30 years but never spoken with. So there's a lot of beauty in that work, but people have to be ready to sign up for it. Uh, and these spaces need to be owned locally for them to really meet their full potential. So without local leadership, without that local buy-in, there really is no purpose in planting a food forest. And it really does depend on leadership to renew itself over time. So Boston Food Forest Coalition acts as a backbone community land trust, Boston Food Forest Coalition is a community land trust. We're there to make sure that these stewardship teams are never alone in the care of these spaces. And in the same way, members of these stewardship teams sit on our board of directors and and shape the policy of the land trust. So it is a journey to build all these relationships And each new food forest. You can just imagine the multiplicity of relationships that it adds, Uh, not just the stewards but all the local businesses, churches, community-based organizations that are stakeholders in these spaces. So it's quite complex to build one food forest. 30 feels ambitious, appropriately ambitious to us. (laughs) Um, Vivian, uh, have
2: you had the appropriate or desired for response to people wanting to be stewards and shepherd and do the communal work as well as partake of the fruits?
0: We've been so fortunate to have a number of stewards, again, because we were already a neighborhood association with, you know, community members already engaged in the community. And then through that, we reached out to neighbors, both those who are budded the food forest and those who are a little further away and asked, would you be willing to? And we have now nine active stewards uh, who are there every week and sometimes more than once a week. Depending on what's needed, uh, it's a really outstanding and wonderful group of stewards.
2: Wow! I tell you, this—it's this—was news to me, and it sounds so interesting and exciting on so many levels. Um, and oh, by the way, I'm from the South too, where we had black walnuts, but we made ice cream. Just want to point that out. <laughs> black walnut ice cream. <laughs> <That sounds yummy. laughs> yes, it is yummy. I thank you both for joining me. Thank you so thank much. You so much, Kylie. Orion Kriegman is the founding executive director of the Boston Food Forest Coalition, and Vivian Morris is the chair of the Edgewater Neighborhood Association. Coming up, the almost four-year lead-up to the new Barbie movie has sparked widespread enthusiasm for the 64-year-old doll. From Barbie-themed parties to Barbie-styled and colored clothing to visits to Barbie's life-sized Malibu dream house, Barbie writ large is trending up. Barbie Corps, the everything Barbie movement, has put Barbie-related items in short supply, including Barbie's signature hot pink paint color. Why has this doll, made for child's play, become an adult pop culture phenomenon? That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.